welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. We've talked about over the last few weeks uh, the, the concept of being unashamed and the power of your story. We started out with the purpose of your story, and the purpose of your story being that God wants to use your story and my story to reveal his story. And then last week, Pastor Ed brought the power in our story and that uh, he is the vine, we are the branches. And it is, it is the power of him that happens in our story. He put it like this, he goes, we don't have to write our own story, we don't have to write our story in our own strength. It is his strength. And in fact, we could even say, we don't have to live our story in our own strength. We can live in his strength. And today we're going to look at the presentation of our story. And this is most important because we're going to finish out. We've talked about our story, but how do we begin to present our story? Before I do, and we've tried to mention this each week, it is important that you understand that you would have a story. Actually, we all have a story in our journey. In fact, uh, Summy's dad, you know, that would be a nine-year story when he would tell his story. But as part of his story, he had a moment in time where he received the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is that receiving of Christ that completes the story. And that's, that's not where the journey began, but that is the climax of the story in that the Lord saved him. And then he looks back and he sees all the ways that God has used it. But that is in the presentation of the story. And so how are we going to tell our story? The story is uh, for him and the power is from him. Let's pray together as we go any further. Father, we love you, and I pray that you would just uh, help me to, uh, Lord, communicate what you want to be heard. In fact, Father, I pray that you would just filter my words past my own voice, past my own lips, and Lord, as, as we hear your word this morning, as we hear this challenge this morning, that it wouldn't even be my words that are heard, but Father, yours, and I pray that you would just transform the, the words that they would just reach each of us uh, right where we are, Lord, myself included. Father, help us to, uh, to know who we are. Help us to know our purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I would start, I neglected to say, if you've never had that moment in time, uh, come see me after the service. Come see one of our other pastors. I'll be lingering around. I would love to share with you uh, my story, but then also the story of Christ and what he can do in your life and how he can make your life just so much better and easy. He's not going to take everything away. He's not going to make your life just a, you know, a candy land. But let me tell you what, it'll feel like a candy land because in the midst of everything, God is there. Because that's a part of your story. So let's, let's get to it. So we, we ignored, or didn't ignore, but there is a word in our title that, that we haven't uh, accomplished yet and talked about. And that word is unashamed. And so our series title is Unashamed, the Power of Your Story. 
we get that word unashamed from Paul when he talks about wanting to go to Rome. Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament and the, the letters that he wrote to the churches and to some other uh, pastors he was training up. And he always had this desire to go to Rome and he made it. Rome would be the epicenter of his day. And so to get to Rome would be the ability to communicate and share just right in the, the center of the world to have the greatest impact of the gospel. And he puts it like this, Romans 1, 15 through 16. He says, so I am eager to come to you in Rome. And he's writing to the people in Rome. He says, I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Verse 16 again says, for I am not ashamed of this good work. I want to help us understand the word ashamed, because being ashamed is not the same as being embarrassed. And Paul is trying to communicate us to not be ashamed rather than to encourage us not to be embarrassed. We don't want to be embarrassed about the gospel, but it is different to also not be ashamed. And so, kind of to define the two, when we are embarrassed, that is an emotion that, uh, or a feeling that pops up based on what other people think. And so when I get embarrassed, it's, it's more about the response of others to what I did or did not do that created the emotion, the feeling of embarrassment. And so maybe you can tie back to your most embarrassing moment. Uh, I'm probably not going to tell you all of mine because you see, the more I share the story, the more people are involved and the more embarrassing it becomes because other people are the key to embarrassment. My, my most embarrassing moment, honestly, it was, uh, I hate to say it from up here, but it was wetting myself on a baseball field, okay? And, and I'll be honest with you, it was, you know, last week we just had a baseball game that was, no, just kidding, no. <laughs> I was the bat boy. I was the bat boy. Well, it was terrible. But, uh, but, but what made it embarrassing was not that it was just me. What made it embarrassing was the guy that picked me up. What made it embarrassing was all the people watching. What made it embarrassing was taking me back to behind the dugout or wherever it was behind the fence. And what made it embarrassing was the rest of the day with soiled pants. That's what's embarrassing. I was no longer embarrassed once I was in the comfort of the back seat of my parents' car. Station wagon, to be exact. Country squire, to be exact. But then the embarrassment subsides because people aren't around. Ashamed is a bit different. You see, when we are ashamed of something, it doesn't require an audience. Because that feeling or emotion is based on what you think or what I think about myself, or about what I have done, or have not done. It didn't require an audience. It didn't require other people. So being ashamed of something is not the feeling or emotion that is based on other people's response, but it's based on my own belief system and my own confidence. And that is what Paul is trying to express, or is expressing very well, I should say. He is not saying that I would be embarrassed if I came to you. 
He is saying, I am not ashamed of the story I have to share. It's a huge difference. It, it, it's, it's a massive difference because it's not about embarrassment, but it's about confidence. Paul is proclaiming his confidence in what the Lord has done. He's proclaiming his confidence in Christ. Now, I don't want to be embarrassed. I should not be embarrassed, but I really don't want to be ashamed because of the difference. You know, we could probably, many of us, raise our hands that we were embarrassed one time or another when we stood up for Christ, either sharing, you know, what Christ did or making a decision based on what we should or should not do based on our, our belief system and our purpose in life, that it was embarrassing and I wish I were not embarrassed but this is not the verse to to attack that emotion this is a verse that means so much more this is the verse that Noah none of us want to raise our hand and say I'm not confident in my faith in fact I'll go so far as to say I'm ashamed of my faith because that is an inner belief system and so it's a very direct question is, have I been embarrassed about my story? Have I been embarrassed about the gospel? But worse than that, and a deeper question is, am I ashamed of the gospel? Do I really have a confidence in the gospel? There, there's a danger that happens when we are ashamed. What ashamed brings is reluctance and hesitation. Reluctance and hesitation. And so we pause. Where, where, where Jesus says, or Timothy says, uh, always be prepared to share the hope that is within you. If we are ashamed, being not confident of the gospel, then there is an immediate hesitation to share our story. There's a reluctance to share our story. And so that's where we, we don't want to be. But when we believe in something and we have absolute confidence, then now it doesn't become just a story. It doesn't become something that we are just not embarrassed. It becomes our purpose and it becomes our mission. And that's where we need to be. You've heard it said if you've been in leadership conferences, they say when someone, when someone is very visionary, they say vision leaks. And what they mean by that, if you're around someone who is very passionate about their vision, they don't even have to be talking about it. It just kind of oozes out of them. And then as, as the vision leaks, other people pick it up. And it's just, it's this ongoing. And that's what happens when you get around someone who is so committed, so dedicated to their purpose, and so dedicated to the vision that they have, that it, it just, it, it, it encompasses everything they do, everything that they are. Their identity is tied up in it, for good or for bad. That is how they are identified, is by that purpose. And so here's our big idea, and this is what we'll spend the rest of our time kind of fleshing out and trying to understand a little bit better. But uh, listen to how we state it. Our story, and we're talking about presenting today, our story is not something that we go and tell. Rather, it's something that we tell as we go. Let me say it again. Our story is not something that we go and tell, but rather it is something that we tell 
as we go. There's a major difference between the two. It's just flipping a sentence around, but it's so important. Because too often, I believe, as Christ followers, as Christians, we think that we have something that we need to go and do rather than something that we just are, who we are, what we are, what we are identified about. It is who we are. It is our purpose. And when that becomes our purpose, it's not something that we pack our bags up, plan for, and go and do. And when we're told that we need to always be prepared to share the hope that it was within us, it's not about a prepared speech that is on the ready to be able to go. It's about just being that person, full of purpose, full a vision for God. Our story is not something we go and tell. It is something we tell as we go. I want to compare it to uh, something. Uh, take a look at our purpose statement. I'm going to share it a little bit later in uh, Acts chapter 1, but also Matthew chapter 28. If, if we were to take a passage in the Bible and say that all Christ followers pretty much have this purpose, it would be Matthew chapter 28. It would be Acts chapter 1. Matthew uh, 28, we, we often refer to it as the Great Commission. And so here's our purpose statement that would fit all of us. I want to encourage you later on, just a spoiler alert, to, to narrow down what is your purpose and how will you accomplish it. But here is our purpose. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so our purpose statement, the Great Commission, would be go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 goes on and even says to teach them. How many of you would know the Coca-Cola purpose statement? Coke has a purpose statement. Theirs is very similar to ours. Theirs is refresh the world, make a difference. Refresh the world, make a difference. If you compare Coca-Cola to the gospel, and you compare the ability to accomplish the purpose statement of the two, it gets very interesting and kind of a little bit troubling, if I can be honest with you. While Coca-Cola is to, to refresh the world and make a difference, we could really sum ours up. Ours isn't to refresh the world. Ours is to save the world, right? We have a much more important, much more important purpose in our life. Here's the problem with that. While they are trying to refresh the world and we are trying to save the world, who would you think has done a better job? Coke, unfortunately. Let me compare for you the, the, the differences in the two. So uh, of the gospel, Jesus was born, what, about 2,000 years ago? Coke was invented about 1886, give or take a lot of years and things like that. Well, not Coke, but Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Coke has about a 1,900-year head start on the gospel. I said it wrong. The gospel, the gospel, <laughs> that means Coke's been around a long time, right? <laughs> See Jesus in the Bible, you know, with a Coke. I don't think so. Okay, the gospel has a 1,900-year jump, a 1,900-year head start on the gospel. 97% of the world's population has heard about Coke. 
72% of the world has seen the Coke logo. 51% of the world has been refreshed by Coke. Meaning that they've tasted it. We can't say that 51% of the world has been reached for the gospel. We just can't say it. Why has Coke done better than the gospel? Of the gospel, these are some older stats, but no, sorry, the Coke stats are old. These are new. It says uh, out of approximately 17,400 people groups, 17,400 people groups, 3,000 of those estimated remain unengaged, they call it. Unengaged meaning there is nobody there presenting the gospel. The gospel has not been presented, and, and they are on their own. And I, I know what you're thinking right now. You're picturing 15 people in a jungle making up a people group, right? No. Okay? Many of these people groups have more than a million people in them. These are massive people groups that are unreached. Hard to get to? Yes. Difficult to reach? Yes. But 15 people in a jungle somewhere? No. It is tons and tons and tons of people. Of those 17,400 people groups, it's not only have 3,000 not been reached, it is estimated that 7,400 of them are statistically unengaged. And the, 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 the criteria for that is less than 2% of that population would know anything about Christ or God or his story. And so what is the difference between the gospel and Coke? What is the difference between the carriers of the gospel and the carriers of Coke and the message of Coke? I'll tell you this. You won't see a Coca-Cola employee in their uniform with a Pepsi in their hand. If you do, they're gone. I know this. I've got a friend that worked for Coke. He's not gone because of that, but he told me he was caught drinking the wrong thing, and it's bad for you. I remember uh, we used to have a Coke machine in the student building, which is now the venue, and uh, somehow I put myself in charge of the Coke machine. I'm not all that sure why, but mainly it was because I had an addiction to Dr. Pepper. Well, Dr. Pepper is not a Coca-Cola product. We had a Coca-Cola machine, and they had Mr. Pibb in the Coke machine. Now, if you know anything about Mr. Pibb and Dr. Pepper, Mr. Pibb is a fake, <laughs> and Dr. Pepper is the real thing. So, as a young guy wanting to, you know, I felt like I owned my own Coke machine here, so what I did is I went to Brookshire Brothers. They have Dr. Pepper, and the best way to keep it cold is to keep it where? In that Coke machine. And so I had the keys to the Coke machine, opened up the Coke machine, took all the Mr. Pib out, gave it away at a fall festival, we didn't need that anymore, and then uh, put in the Dr. Pepper, we're good to go. And so for a couple years, they would deliver us our product, and we had canceled Mr. Pib from the order. One day, oh, and by the way, it's very hard to find the little labels for the, the button, you know, for the Coke machine. These were the older machines. They were, you know, they had a little backlit big old button. And uh, so I couldn't find that as hard as I tried. And uh, I couldn't find it on my dial-up internet connection and Amazon didn't exist. I bet I could find it really quick right now. But uh, so I went to Brookshire Brothers when I was getting the, the Dr. Pepper. I had a pair of scissors. I cut scissors out, 
put the emblem right there in the button. In fact, you know what? Dr. Pepper deserves two slots. You know, we don't need all this. You know, who needs orange drink? You know, we don't need. So, so now we've got our Dr. Pepper in the machine, in the Coke machine. All is good for a couple of years until our representative showed up from Coke. And suddenly there was a twitch in his eye of very discontent with me. And uh, long story short, the uh, Dr. Pepper got the boot out of the machine. Why? They would never put their product up against Dr. Pepper. They do not want Dr. Pepper to be associated with Coke. They want it away. They want Mr. Only Coke products would be, they are through and through Coke. And they're not going to get around it. Christ followers are not always through and through Christ followers. And so when we get to the presentation of our story, I think a part of our fundamental problem is how we define the word go. Because we have a tendency to think that when we prepare our story, it is about getting a speech prepared that will be prepared for a time when God calls us out. And let me give you one last stat. Maybe you thought this. Well, Coke has all the money in the world. No, they do not. Who has all the money in the world? Yeah. Coke has limited resources. We have unlimited resources. So let's go back to our purpose and let's look at that word go. I want to focus on the Matthew 28 one. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the word that I think we have messed up. We have focused on the word go. And that is not, that is not the main point of that passage. Go is not the primary command. When we go on mission trips, that is the verse we put on our shirt. That is the verse we memorize. That is the logo we'll say, go. And all that is fine. Hear me clearly. Missionaries are needed, important, and I am all in on mission works. All in. No doubt about it. However, what I would say is, is that everyone is called to be a missionary. Everyone. Just some people are not called to leave their hometown and pack up their bags. But everyone is called to go. Listen to it again. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's three commands in there. Actually, a fourth one if you go to verse 20, and I'll include that one. There is the word go, which is the command. There is make disciples, another command. Baptize them was the third command, and then teach in verse 20 as the fourth command. Go, make, baptize, teach. Now, when you study the original language, there is one command that pops out more than all the others. In the original tense of the language, only the word make disciples, only the command make disciples is the primary command. In fact, all the others are, are what in that language will be participles of the language, meaning that the word make disciples is the primary command. And the other three words are the means by which we fulfill the primary command. 
So make disciples is the command. How do we fulfill that? Well, we go, we baptize, we teach. Furthermore, the word go was never a pack up your bags, leave your family, and go over here and do work. Go was just simply do it. If you've ever had children, then you've had a dirty room in your home. There's no parent that has never said, go clean your room. Now let me ask you, when you said go clean your room, if your son or daughter went to their the kitchen table, whipped out a computer, and started whipping out a plan of how they're going to clean their room, and then decided a date they might go, and then started raising funds so they might be able to do it with the help of others, and then, and then started packing their bags to be able to leave you and go clean their... You, you, you know I'm nuts, okay? The word go did not mean leave this and go do that. It was a fluid word. It was an indirect command, meaning go and make disciples. That's the primary command. Go and make disciples. Going, baptizing, and teaching are the means by which we fulfill the primary command. Our story is not something we go and tell. It is something that we tell as we go. Put missions in it. Our mission our mission, or just missions in general. Missions is not something we go and do. It's something that we do as we go. God calls certain people to go further. God calls certain people to go to a different area. He calls everyone to go. The missionary that leaves their home, when they come home, they're still a missionary. When you go to work, you are still a Christ follower. It doesn't change. Your primary command, your primary purpose is to make disciples. Why? Because you are a Christ follower. I am a Christ follower. Our story is not something we go and tell. It is something we tell as we go. And so what this means is our story just isn't a speech. It's not just a, a speech, something that we've prepared. Uh, I am, you've you got to hear my heart on this. I am not against testimonies. I'm not against missionaries. But I, I am against us thinking we need to program Christ following and fit it into the rest of our life. You see, we, we have to turn the tide, and you've heard me say it before, we are Christ followers who are at church this morning. It, it, those of us who would identify with the church that you are a member of Magnolia's First, you are not a member of Magnolia's First who is a Christ. You are a Christ follower who is a member of Magnolia's First. Uh, Steve, our worship pastor, he is not a worship pastor who is a Christ follower. We are not pastors who are Christ followers. You don't want that. I don't want that. I want Christ followers who are pastors. And so they make decisions not based on being a pastor. They make a decision based on being a Christ follower. If you're an accountant, I want you to make decisions based on being a Christ follower, not being an accountant. If you're a teacher, a nurse, it's you are a Christ follower who happens to be positioned in the profession of a nurse. Take it to your hobbies. If, if you love golf, you are a golfer 
who's a Christ follower? No. You are a Christ follower who happens to love and play golf. And if you have that purpose first, then God can use golf for his kingdom. And God, God wants to take our whole story. You see, our story is a living story. It's not what we write out and put on paper. Here, here's the danger if all you've done is put your testimony in a speech on a sheet of paper and you're ready to share it when God calls you. It doesn't work that way. God has commanded us to always be prepared, meaning not prepared for the, the green light to go somewhere, always be prepared. As you are golfing, as you are accounting, as you are teaching, you are a Christ follower who is doing those things who he has prepared. And so your story is your whole story. If, if you have a student, I hate to break it to you, but there's a good chance the Instagram account that you follow is not really the Instagram account that they keep updated. And students might start throwing stuff at me in a second. But uh, what, what they call the one that we follow as parents is a Finsta, a fake Instagram. And you see, that is the highlights of the life. That's the one where we take at church where we're great. But then there's the real Instagram story that we don't want our parents to see. We don't want our employers to see, future employers. We don't, well, we don't want our current employers to see them, for that matter. That's the real one that we share with our friends. Well, I, I want to flip it a little bit because it's the real story that God wants to use to share His story. It's the real story that He wants. He wants to use your hurts and pains. He wants to use the, the, the junk of your life to accomplish his work. If you go to my Instagram uh, right now, it's actually updated because my daughter just got married a few weeks ago, and so that'll be up there for years and years to come. I refuse to take down the profile picture of me and my daughter when she was 16, but, uh, but that's okay, you know, because I'm living in the now. That's, that's the me I want you to see. And so if you go to my Instagram, if you go to my, my Facebook, you are going to see a guy that is a great dad you're going to see most likely a world traveler if you go far enough, because apparently I travel a lot based on social media. Uh, you're going to see he is a pastor at a great church. Well, I feel like I am at a great church. But you're going to see that my daughter is married to a great guy. I'm so happy about that, so excited about that. I'm toting that. You're going to see that my son is up in Dallas in college doing great. My life is just a box of chocolates, and you can't beat it, right? What's my real story? Well, my real story is the things I really don't put on Instagram. I don't put on social media because those are the highlights. But, but unfortunately, even as Christ follows, sometimes in our testimony, in our story where we share with others, we only put the highlight. Do you remember what she said? Nine years she tried to reach her dad. Summy, the video that you watched earlier. Nine years. God called her to do it, and it took nine years. She talked about, uh, there was some footage y'all didn't see, but you know, in her car, just disappointed, and it's like, man, she's been called. It, it was, God wanted to use her whole story in front of her dad. And let me tell you what, the hardest people to reach are the people that know you the best, because they know your stuff. But if you use your hurts and your pains for his glory, God will turn all that around. You can reach people in amazing ways. My real story, and, and just to share, you've heard me say probably some of this all at times, but uh, if, if I had my real social media, my real life up on social media, you, you would see that I had arthritis as a kid. 
I couldn't run and, and really participate in a lot of sports. Um, you'll see my swimming trophies up there, but that's because I had to be in swimming because of, of my arthritis. Of course, come to think of it, I think I just lied. I don't think I got any trophies for swimming, but that's another story, okay? But, uh, but uh, I had severe doubt as a teen. I, I, had, a, I had some rough years in, in my faith and, and just doubt. Uh, uh, Michelle and I, my wife, we, uh, we, we lost our first child, our first pregnancy. Brutal. We, uh, a few years ago, my daughter's senior year, we were displaced from our home. Brutal. We didn't let that on, but hated it. Um, to be honest with you, right now, you go to my Instagram, you see uh, uh, my daughter's wedding, but, but, but you know what her and I are dealing with? Empty nest. I know you say it's going to get great, but we need a few more weeks, all right? <laughs> it's hard. But, but God is in that story, and he wants to use that story for everything. You know, he, he, can, he, he can and he has used the story of us losing a child. We can identify with people that have been displaced from their home for a while. You know, we can, we can identify Steve was emptiness before me, and he, he actually helped me. And it's just, you know, we use our story for other people, but it's not, we don't prepare the highlights. It's something we tell as we go. Our story comes from the foundation of us being purposeful and being a Christ follower. And so Christ and our purpose is at the foundation, and everything else is filtered through that. If you're not a Christ follower, I, I wouldn't want you to go through, I haven't been through by far the worst things that have happened, I know, in this room. But, but Christ followers will tell you, on the other side of it, you see God through it. You don't know why he didn't bail you out of that. He could have. He has bailed us out of some stuff. But you know what? Having him with us is the story, the, the, the personal connection with a living God who saved us, who, who sustained us and helped us. That's the story God wants to use. In fact, sometimes God leaves a few of that, those things in our life for the purpose of his glory. I'm not saying he creates it, but I'll be honest with you enough to say that he intentionally didn't take it away. And I know that for a fact in my own life. You see, all these things, our real story, it shapes our story as we tell others as we go. Our hobbies or our interests can't be first. It's being a Christ follower is first. Everything else is filtered uh, through that. Our purpose is very defining. I want to ask you a few questions to help you maybe grab your real purpose out. Because I think, myself included, I'll, I'll quickly say my purpose is to make disciples. But, uh, but when you ask yourself some pretty probing and deep questions, you realize that, you know what, there's some other things that are lingering around in the foundation that, uh, that detract from my purpose. Uh, as an example, I use golf intentionally. I like to golf. I'm not that good at it. But, uh, but I've got a friend who golfs, and golf is a part of his purpose. He intentionally uses golf to reach others to meet new people, and to share the love of Christ. And I know him well enough that he's, he's doing it. And, and here's, here's what happens. is We kind of think when we narrow our purpose, it narrows down things. Golf has actually been a thing that he will not let things get in the way to mess up the couple of days of the week. He's retired, but he won't let those things get in the way of golf. And so what seems to be the right thing to do, maybe hop on a committee or something like that, you know, at your home, whatever it be, but 
But golf is actually the driving force because it's a part of his foundation and purpose of sharing Christ, loving others. But here's what I want to say. If he says no to something that seems better than golf, he's not saying no because he loves the game. He's saying no because he loves people. He loves his purpose more than the game. In fact, if you talk to him, you find out that he's actually played golf sometimes when he really doesn't want to. But you see, the purpose is there. What's your purpose? Let me ask you this. What determined your choice of profession or your hobby? What determined it? Did did financial desires determine your profession? Or did your purpose? Let me ask you this. Do you view your current profession or your current hobbies as something that fulfills your purpose? I'm not saying you need to go change jobs or professions, but I'm asking you, does your current profession, what you do during the week, is it being used by God to fulfill your primary purpose of being a Christ follower, making disciples? Is it opening doors for ministries? The questions get a little tougher. Tougher. Uh, what determines your financial need? What determines your financial need? Is it your preferred lifestyle? Or is it your purpose? If provided with more resources, what would you do with it? Would you feed your purpose or would you feed your interest? For my friend, it could mean a new golf cart. <laughs> but what, what does it feed? You see where I'm going? When, when, you, when you marry your foundation, your purpose as being a Christ follower and, and your interest, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so this, this is not a big ask for someone who is aligned with their genuine purpose out of joy of making disciples because they want to pour their resources into what their purpose is. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But does your resources, do they fulfill your purpose? Does it feed your purpose or your interest? And then the last question, what would determine that you have enough resources? The person in this room that is content with what they have is the richest person in the room. And whoever you are, there's someone else in the room that has more than you. That's just the way it is. But what determines that you have enough? What would get you to that point of being content? And then I go back to, what is your purpose? Are you a Christ follower first? Or are you this first? A few next steps, they're quick. Number one, know who you are. And number two, know your purpose. We find those both in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Know who you are and know your purpose. Pray those things through. Am I a Christ follower who is a teacher or am I a teacher who is a Christ follower? Am I a pastor who is a Christ follower or am I a Christ follower first and then a pastor?
Can't say that enough. Know your purpose. Number three, know who you are not. Know who you are not. Tuesday is coming. I hear a few giggles. Some of you hadn't figured it out yet. If you're not aware, if you don't have eyeballs, ears, a TV, or the newspaper, I don't know who has the newspaper anymore, election day is Tuesday. Let me share with you a verse, because I want you to know who you are not. And if you live with this foundation of purpose, there is something you are not that that I think we all need to hear this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verses 13 through 16. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Verse 14, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could go back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why, verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. You've heard it said, we are strangers we are aliens in this land. Whatever happens on Tuesday with your candidate of choice, the worst thing that can happen is that you go home to your real land. You see, you're not an American who is a Christ follower. You're a Christ follower who lives in America. You know what? Today is... Presidential election day for the country of Moldova. How many of you knew that? Do you know that for real? Today's election day for the country of Moldova. 2.6 million people live there. You could care less. You know why? You don't live there. That's not your home. That's not your place. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not our home. This is not our place. We are foreigners. We are aliens. No matter what happens on Tuesday, whatever your preferences are, your principles are, your convictions are, whatever they are, as a Christ follower, vote. I am not saying that. You do your duty. You vote. However, Wednesday morning when you wake up, you remember who you are. And that you're a stranger. You are an alien here. And let me tell you what, if your candidate of choice doesn't make it in the office, or if we have to wait six months to find out, your purpose is more important than ever. Because you are a foreigner, you are an alien here. You were put here to make disciples. You lucked out that you're in such a great country. Luck of the draw. You were placed by God in a place to make disciples. This is not your home. This is not my home. My opportunities, your opportunities, might be greater to live out our purpose in the coming years. Don't forget that.
It's defining. It's purposeful. You are a Christ follower. Period. Let all the rest fall on top of that foundation of who you are. Father, we love you. And Lord, we pray that you would, uh, Father, not just for Election Day, Lord, help us to do our, our duty, help us to follow you, follow our principles, our convictions. But Father, even more than that, Lord, I pray that we would not be caught up in results, but Father, help us in this room to be caught up in your purpose. Whatever may come, I want to serve you. Whatever may come, I want my story to have you at the start. And Lord, everything else be an illustration of what you've done in my life. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for the foreign countries. We pray for our world, Lord, that you would be God. That, Lord, we would put you first in every way. But, Lord, we pray right now in this room that we here of Magnolia First, we would start by putting you first in who we are. And, Lord, that's what can change the world. And we know it. And, Father, we thank you for it. And we give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.